Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 63rd episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that makes you ask your mummy for your allowance so you can go deep. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. A quick message from our sponsor, Face-to-Face Games. Face-to-FaceGames.com provides competitive pricing on Magic singles and sealed product with shipping to both the U.S. and Canada. Check out Face-to-Face card pricing via MTGPrice.com whether building your deck or stockpiling a spec. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host this week is Travis Allen, as always, a.k.a. at Wizard Bumpin', and we're here to help you guys make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hello, everybody. We're glad to be here and looking forward to sharing all sorts of interesting opinions and information about Amonkhet. Our show is sponsored by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. All right, so uh, break down our segments for the week, Travis. We're doing sure. a little something a little bit different this week, yeah? We are doing something a little bit different, and that doesn't have anything to do with the fact that there's no metagame to speak of. <laughs> um, we have a show in two segments. Top Segment one will be our top movers. We'll look at what cards have jumped the most this week. Uh, and segment two is going to be a long look at Amonkhet. We kind of started out with a you know top 10 long shot specs from the set, but it just kind of morphed into uh, here's a lot of cool cards that all have uh, implications. So we're just going to kind of go through as we see fit and talk about uh, what's caught our eye and, and what may be in the pipeline for some of this stuff. Some a little more reliable, some less so, uh, but that's what we've got in store for you guys today. Um, so let's fire off this week. Uh, segment one, our top movers. James, would you like to uh, get us started? Sure. So the first mover of the week is Relentless Dead. This is the zombie that didn't quite get there from Shadows Over Innistrad. That's a mythic rare that got down to $5 and is back up into the 7 or $8 range for a 2 or $3 change, about 50 to 60%. Um, and this is on the the assumption that the zombie action we're getting in Amonkhet is going to be enough to make uh, a tribal deck a thing in standard, uh, if not modern. And uh, I guess we'll see how that all plays out. Yeah, now I believe uh, that there there's a good amount of zombies in the set, um, and definitely some synergies. There's uh, Lord of the Accursed, which is a zombie lord, pumps all your zombies by 1-1. One, one. But I believe the card that was spoiled that triggered Relentless Dead's price movement was actually Bantu, the Glorified, the Black God. I believe so, so feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but he um, he has a, a pay 2 mana, sack a creature... With it, and then you scry one, uh, everyone loses one, and you drain one. So Relentless Dead is really good to be doing that because it returns to your to your hand pretty easily. So I think that was the trigger for him. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of other cards that are also making that that tribe worth a second look. We've got the White Path to Exile that uh, only works if you blocked or were blocked by a zombie this turn. Um, so you know, single mana instant speed exile a creature is not something that we've seen before that didn't have uh, a significant downside. And the fact that if if you're playing this in a white black zombies deck and you can make that work, this is strictly better than both Swords to Plowshares and Path to Exile. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Some definite definite power in there. Um, okay, our second pick, our second not pick, our second card for the week is Crumbling Ashes. This is a uh, God. Was this an uncommon from Shadowmoor? Started the week at a dollar fifty. 
it's now up to about $3, so about a double up. Crumbling Ashes is an enchantment from, uh, wait, did I say Shadow More? Eventide. I'm sorry, Eventide. is an enchantment from Eventide. At the beginning of your upkeep, destroy target creature with a minus one, minus one counter on it. Now, we saw a plus one, plus one counter theme in Aether Revolt and Kaladesh, um, and now Amoncat is bringing a minus one, minus one counter theme. Uh, the last time that, well, I should say the last time, one of the times that we saw a big minus one, minus one counter theme was back in the Eventide Shadowmoor, um, and when, when Wither was introduced. So there's some support cards way back there. Again, we're talking Lorwyn era. So very low supply on a lot of this stuff. Uh, Crumbling Ashes obviously basically gives you a free, um, a free destroy target creature uh, every upkeep. It's, if it's got a minus one, minus one counter, I know incremental blight has been tossed around. A few people have mentioned that to me and and some other stuff. So, um, you know, I haven't seen the price on this move. Like the market price is still like a dollar eighty. Um, you know, I'm seeing copies at four bucks on TCG Player. You might be able to find them. Excuse me, elsewhere as well. Uh, this is definitely a speculator purchased. Um, I don't think casuals rushed out and bought crumbling ashes and sp- at the announcements here at the theme reveal it's more that just people like you and i saw an opportunity to go back and mine some of this old stuff and are posting them or or hoping to you know kind of flip it for a a double or triple up so you know if you've got them and you can get rid of them go for it i don't think this is going to be this or most of these cards are going to really have very sticky price increases yeah i mean this this seems like a definite long shot i mean the other card that people were kicking around with this whole this whole theme was necroskitter this is the one four elemental for one and two black that has wither and whenever a creature an opponent controls with a minus one minus one counter on it dies you may return that card to the battlefield under your control um all, all of this is just so uh unlikely <laughs> yeah. is, is the kindest word um, that if you have any chance of trading these out or, or selling them to a buy list um, on any of this action, feel free. Otherwise I think it's moving right along. Yep. Uh, I completely agree. What do you got next for us? So the presence of the exert mechanic and specifically the three or four exert creatures that look playable and standard at, at high level um, has people wondering whether an always watching deck will come to the forefront. That's pushed that rare from uh, Shadows over Innistrad up from a dollar fifty to three fifty. Um, you know, if you can get it out on these anywhere between three fifty and four, and you had a bunch sitting around in your binder, I think that's a, a fantastic exit point for something that will otherwise fade right back to where it started um, on relatively low demand. Uh, yeah. Yep, I agree. Although there's some interesting exert stuff in there, right? Like that dragon. It's certainly pretty cool. I mean, it does a good flame tongue combo impression. And then you've yep. got that mythic Naya guy who, you know, you can attack with everything and then untap the creature afterwards to just kind of keep slamming into it. Um, I especially like people who, after always watching was figured out, which was like 30 seconds after we saw exert people like days later, are like, oh man, what about co- retreat the coral helm? And it's like, boy, that sure is a worse version of that effect. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that the the always watching decks uh, may well be a thing, but the the bigger issue here is whether or not the retreat from standard and and clearly there has been one um, over the last year with the various bannings and kind of stilted uh, metagame uh, uh, leading to uh, a general disinterest in the format. Um, uh, it's unclear that Amonkhet is going to get people excited enough to bring them back to F and M. 
Um, and if standard kind of keeps limping along at like a, you know, medium level of interest, then it's going to be hard for cards from last year, especially rares and not mythics that fit in one deck, but not as a multi archetype staple to really make a, a strong move and hold it. So, um, this is really, we're in a position now where standard speculation is really more about the macro trends than it is about what decks are getting played. Uh, I think I'm inclined to agree with you on that. That's uh, a fair way to, to read that. Um, okay, so next up on our list is Wheel of Fate. Uh, I believe we've talked about that on this podcast once or twice already. That did jump. Um, this is the, the Wheel of Fortune uh, that's free but you uh, you have to suspend it. Although with As Foretold, um, you can then just slam Wheel of Fate whenever you feel like it. Jumped from $1.50 to like $3.75 uh, for, for a fair little jump. I don't know how many of these are selling yet at the new price, and I don't know if they're going to right away. This is, as we've discussed, kind of the, the furthest reach of these types of effects, um, but it does seem like there is some promise there at least. So I've got a couple. I haven't bothered to list them yet because I don't think you're actually selling these at a profit at this point in time, but um, definitely going to be keeping a real close eye on that one. The problem with Wheel of Fortune effects in Modern is that even if you could play the actual Wheel of Fortune, um, you still have to manage um, the fact that you just gave a whole bunch of resources to your opponent for free and you're down the card and the mana and the tempo that you just spent to put both of you in the same boat. So you really need to have a reason uh, to be giving them all those cards or a way of maneuvering out of that position and, and making those cards moot. Maybe it's a you know mana denial strategy. Maybe you're running fevered visions um, in some kind of blue-red, uh, you know, uh, Howling Mind-style uh, control build. Um, all of it seems very far-fetched. Uh, I think of all of the uh, cards that are likely to interact best with As Foretold, we can easily rank Ancestral Vision as the top, uh, and then some combination of Restore Balance and Living End, and possibly Lotus Bloom in the second tier, and Wheel of Fate is right down there at the bottom waiting for somebody to prove us wrong. Yeah, I mean, I, you're completely right. It is kind of funny that it, I don't think Wheel of Fate would be played at all in Modern right now, but this might actually end up being quite a bit better than Wheel of Fate. Um, given the tools available to you in the format. I'm right there with you. It is a long shot. I guess I wouldn't think of this in the way that we used to think of wheel effects where like you burn your hand. So you're down those zero, you know, one card and your opponent's still on six or seven and then you wheel. So you gain a ton of cards and you just kind of screw with their plan. I don't think that that's necessarily the angle that you would take with wheel effects in modern anymore. Now it's more like I want to dump a ton of cards, seven cards into my graveyard or uh, it's part of a combo, you know, like I want to basically memory jar myself in one turn type thing so the application has changed a little bit but it is a powerful effect i mean it essentially it is it does say draw seven on it uh and you know we've worked pretty hard to do things like that in the past before yeah so i mean if if the supply gets a little lower on wheel of fate then you may get a solid exit point right now it's in that weird nebulous zone where it's hard to make money on it um so just something worth keeping an eye on but uh, it's going to be tough to get very far uh in the current paradigm yeah i i don't disagree with you at all on that uh, what do you got next for us? So we have Magister Sphinx from Conflux. Uh, the foils specifically moving from 325 to 850 for a 160% gain or so. Okay. Uh, do you have any idea why this thing moved? Not really. <laughs> That's why I gave it to you. <laughs> so when it comes into play, target player's life total becomes 10. Yeah. 
it's pretty brutal in in edh honestly i'm kind of surprised it took us this long to get to this point magister sphinx uh i have a foil one somewhere and every time that i would skim past this card i would go i wonder why this isn't more expensive uh but it never was uh so i just kind of kept stashing it away in bulk if i was smart i would have bought a bunch of these and because when i realized that why did i keep thinking this was uh cheap um but my my assumption is just low supply yeah i mean it's almost 10 years old now uh that's good enough for a rare foil to become rare enough Um, and there are 2000 decks that run this thing according to edh.rec so um, EDH demand is clearly driving things. Mostly this is in decks like Sherman, the Hegemon, Aloro, and Brea. Yeah. Well, when you figure, you know, this essentially says target player loses anywhere between 30 and, you know, infinite life. Uh, it's real good in, in EDH, right? Yep. That makes sense. Uh, our last card for the week is Fiery Gambit. Um, those of you going, huh? Uh, yeah, right there with you. This is the three mana sorcery from Mirrodin that you flip coins. So that kind of tells you where this is going already. The first flip, you lightning bolt something, two two flips successfully. You do six damage to each opponent. And three successful flips is draw nine cards and untap all your lands. So you really get paid at the very top. Um of this did uh did somebody make a deck list with this recently or is this just a supply thing oh i'm sorry the, we're looking at the foils from mirrored and went from six to 16 uh i'm expecting somebody made a deck or either that or it was just very low supply and somebody finally bought the last couple copies on tcg Player. that seems reasonable i mean there's only 500 decks running on an edh i mean to get the full value out of it you have like a 12 percent chance right like uh 50 chance three times is what 12.5 so yeah yeah, that's not particularly exciting, but uh random dude that shows up occasionally to EDH with his coin flip deck. Uh, congrats to you that one of your cards is now worth a few more dollars. Did uh, did Saffron not make a um, a coin flip deck? Because we talked about Clark's Thumb not that long ago, didn't we? The one that gives you extra coin flips when you mess up. Yeah, that was a while back, though, I think. Hmm. Okay, so maybe people just finally got around to remembering this card existed. I don't know. Whatever. It's coin flip stuff. Not really important in the greater scheme of things. Yeah, I think he he. There was an article like last July uh, that was uh, budget commander coin flips, and then I think against the odds uh, on March thirtieth, uh, he ran the Clark's uh, thumb luck test in modern or something. So it could easily have been uh, attention on coin flipping from that whole thing because Fiery Gambit was mentioned in the accompanying article that was just two weeks ago. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. So we'll we'll blame that one on the saffron olive effect. Fine by me. I am fine with blaming other people for everything. All right. So let's let's jump into our cards to watch segment. This one's going to be a little different than usual. Instead of picking just a couple of cards from uh, all available options, we're going to dive in on the um, the fairly lengthy list of interesting cards in Amonkhet that are either underpriced currently or are likely to become underpriced before a slow uh, steady climb to profits in the long term. And um, one of the things we noticed when going through this set is that a lot of the cards seem to be aimed at the casual and EDH market, which makes a lot of sense given the trend lines that we've been seeing in the hobby as a whole. 
And as a result, uh, there are some pretty tasty EDH-style foils um, that anchor the set, and a few choice constructed cards with modern and legacy and standard implications that we'll uh, walk you through one by one. Yeah, there is this set is a really chock full of all sorts of interesting cards. Um, I'm really hoping that Gideon and gets banned. You know, the combo, I don't know if it's as important, but it wouldn't hurt too. But I would love to see the combo and Gideon go to really give a lot of this stuff room to breathe because there's some very interesting cards floating around in here. Uh, and it'll be exciting to see what we can get out of them. Um, but why don't you uh, why don't you give us the first one that caught your eye? All right. So the first card I actually bought uh, this week was uh, Approach of the Second Sun. This is the alternate wind condition du jour. Um, and it's a sorcery for seven mana. And if you cast it from your hand and you cast another copy of it at some earlier point in the game, uh, then you win the game. And otherwise, you just put Approach of the Second Sun into your library seventh from the top and you gain seven life. So if it's the first time, you gain seven life and you put it seven from the top. And then if there's something, uh, if there's another copy higher up or you manage to dig it out or find it again sooner or you had another one in your hand and you've got enough mana to deal with it, then you could go ahead and win the game on the spot. Now, this is usually the kind of card that goes straight to bulk rare status and sits there forever. Um, and then Saffron features it four or five years from now and uh, it briefly makes a flare up and then falls back to nothing. But there's a couple things going on here that have my attention. Firstly, there are a lot of control elements that have been added in Amonkhet for standard play. So there are a couple of key counterspells. We have Essence Scatter back at two. We have a four spike on two. Cancel is in the set. So that's like 12 excellent counterspells that are, are ready to rock and roll. There's several different options for removal uh, that uh, were not present before. And it leads me to believe that control may be more viable moving forward. Um, I've tested the card a bit in some sample hands and some decks I've been fooling around with, and there are, are a bunch of different ways to make this work. Uh, in modern, I'm looking at it as a white Tron piece where you can mix Eldrazi elements and Approach of the Second Sun as an alternate win condition, um, because Tron can get to seven mana without breathing hard, and, uh... There's the possibility of casting it off things like Jace Friends Prodigy or Snapcaster Mage um, if you can only find a second uh, 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 second copy, or so I thought, until I realized they always go back into your library and you can't cast them from the graveyard. Mm-hmm. So the, the, <laughs> the result is that this is probably still a long-term bulk rare that doesn't really get anywhere, but copies were posted at 50 cents. Um, that's, you know, they could get as low as 25 cents if it doesn't do anything in standard, but... Uh, given that it's got some potential long-term to show up in modern, um, it's got some casual interest probably long-term. The art is gorgeous. The foils will be really lovely. Uh, and if it shows up in standard, and I heard a couple of different pros talking about uh, testing it uh, in control builds for standard, then this, this could easily be a 3 or $4 dollar card. Tom Ross tweeted that he lost to this card recently. They were testing and he got beat by it. Playing against Michael Majors, yeah. Yeah, so, so that's that really caught my attention. Right, and so the story there is that you could cast this off Aetherworks Marvel instead of trying to cast, you know, Ulamog or something. And uh, the uh, the first time you cast it, you even though it got cast off Marvel, you put it seven from the top. The next time you activate Marvel, you draw six, and maybe you find another copy. But if you miss, it doesn't matter because the seventh copy is going to be on top of your deck, and you're going to draw it next turn. 
Yep, and if you can manage to draw a card in between, then you're golden. Um, what I was thinking about, and because we were, we uh, as soon as this was spoiled, we were, of course, we're trying to figure out how to break it, and um, it doesn't work with things like uh, like uh, Pyromancer's Ascension or effects like that, because remember, you don't cast copies. So before you message us and tell us about all that, that doesn't work. Um, same reason you can't fork it. Mm-hmm. But you'll notice that what you can do is it does say um, if you've already cast it, but it doesn't say like if you resolved it. So if you find yourself with a lot of mana, you can cast Approach of the Second Sun, remand it to your remand your own spell, and then cast it again, um, and then you will have triggered the condition. Uh, and you will win the game on the spot. So you can win with one copy of Approach the Sun and one Remand and a lot of mana. Now, that's a lot of mana, but if you were in a deck that can generate infinite mana, which there is plenty of ways to do, this is essentially like, I guess, a two-card combo or sort of like a card and a half combo. Um, so just, you know, little things like that provide opportunities. And, you know, Tron could theoretically get there. That is uh, that is 16 mana total. Um, so, like, maybe not the green-red or green-white Tron builds that just power out Wormcoil Engine and, and Karn, but, like, the blue-white Tron decks, for instance, uh, might not hate this um, or some version of this. So just little things like that. Again, we're, we're kind of calling a lot of these long shots, so don't tell us that we're absolutely crazy. We're just kind of trying to find all of the interesting ways that you could kind of see these show up. Yeah, I mean, it, I bought 88 copies or something for an average of 46 cents each or something. Uh, <laughs> if it gets to 3 or $4 on the back of standard play, I'll be plenty happy to out them to buy less. <laughs> I wouldn't expect otherwise. All right, so next one on my list is a card that lots of people have been talking about. And this is the kind of card that sends up a huge flag called Opportunity um, because there's so much uh, debate as to whether this thing is even playable. The card I'm talking about is As Foretold. This is the mythic enchantment for two and a blue that we uh, alluded to quickly last week, um, and I've been brewing around it all week for Modern. Um, uh, I, I'm pretty stoked about this card. I was talking to Rachel Agnes uh, Baytog, who's probably the spikiest member of our staff um, and arguably the best player, and uh, she said it's garbage. So uh, that signals to me that the if the card is garbage and standard, then it's going to fall flat. Uh, price-wise. It's current, it was originally selling around $25. Now it's down to $15 on Star City. It could easily end up in the $5 to $8 range as a relatively unplayed mythic. Um, and if it takes a while for people to figure out how to put this to work, um, by all means, I'll be looking to go deep. Um, the list that I, I, I've been working on is... Well, I've been <laughs> working on Jeskai, Esper, and Sultai um, for modern built around this card on the, on the back of a couple of different interesting interactions. So the first one that everybody's already aware of is that um, As Foretold uh, is an enchantment that comes down and every turn cycle you put a counter on it. And then for every counter that is on the card, you can cast a spell for free on every turn. So that's both your turn and your opponent's turn that is equal or less uh, casting cost to the number of counters. So on the first turn cycle, you can cast things that costs zero. So that lets you put a Lotus Bloom or an Ancestral Vision uh, on the stack for free. Lotus Bloom obviously gives you a free uh, Black Lotus, which is pretty sweet. And Ancestral Vision gives you a free Ancestral Recall. Both cards are, you know, pretty good. So uh, people were making fun of that combo saying, oh, you basically cast Divination because you spent two cards out of your hand and you drew three cards. So you're only net one card, right? 
Um, but that completely misses the point. Yes, that's true on the first iteration of your interaction, but you then get to cast something for free on your opponent's turn, which could be uh, a uh, counterspell like Pact of Negation if you have Gideon of the Trials in play, for instance. Um, and even if you do nothing on the first turn cycle, starting on the next turn cycle, you're casting a one casting cost spell on your turn and their turn, and then a two and a two and a three and a three or less, and so forth and so on. And so in a deck that has a lot of one and two casting cost stuff that is at instant speed, um, I think the card uh, is is very playable. Um, using things like, uh, you know, uh, mutagenic growth, spell snare, thought scour, um, thought seize, abrupt decay, counter squall, remand, uh, and, you know, maybe that insulti that fits into some kind of death shadow tarmogoyf shell. I mean, one of the interactions that made me just, you know, pretty much want to puke in my mouth was, uh, <laughs> as foretold into ancestral vision, then you e-witness back the ancestral vision and cast it again for free. You've now drawn six cards off one copy of Ancestral Vision. So, wait. I'm sorry, on that combo. So, because you can only trigger it once per turn. Yeah, yeah. So, are so, you resolving Ancestral Vision the the fair way and then doing it immediately after? So, let's say you do something like Noble Hierarch, turn one. Turn two, as foretold, Ancestral Vision right away, draw three. Okay. Turn turn three, E-Witness, Ancestral Vision back, cast out an Ancestral Vision for free, and you're casting your normal, you, you can still tap your man on that turn for the Witness, then uh, cast something for free uh, for one uh, or less, which is the Vision again, so you now draw six, and then on your opponent's turn, you can cast a Fatal Push or whatever you need to. Yep. Spell Snare, yeah, etc. That is... Uh, that is a good time right there. That's what that is. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's a lot of value. And entirely possible that it just doesn't get there. But I think in control shells that have access to early removal, and the fact that we now have Fatal Push really makes a difference. Because whether or not you're in Sultai, where you have access to Fatal Push, or you're in Jeskai, where you have Path to Exile and Condemn and Lightning Bolt, which are all reasonable in the meta... Um, or you're in Mardu, where you have Fatal Push, Path to Exile, and Lightning Bolt, um, and you're splashing your As Foretolds in some offhand fashion, at, at some point, you're, somebody's going to find some configuration that makes this mythic do work. Um, in Legacy, Legacy, you've got even more options, because you could easily turn to it into play with an Ancient Tomb or a City of Traders. Um, and in Vintage, you could just go Lotus As Foretold Go, <laughs> like that's you t- tell me that's not playable <laughs> you're then you're then casting things for free on both t- both sides of the table for the rest of the game um it, i i want this card to get low i want it to fall flat in its face i want it to suck and then i want it to be five dollars and then i want to buy a ton of them yeah i'm right there with you i want to play this at uh at vegas so i also really want to <laughs> want it to 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 nosedive um right at the start and i and i think we're probably pretty safe on that like who i really don't see this card being a big deal in standard especially not at the beginning uh just because it's so much hard to be unfair with it um but i i I do think the power level is extremely high in older formats uh so i mean you you you've really you've really chatted quite about a bit about it so i'm not gonna go on at length but i think we're pretty much in the same the same boat here that it's uh, it's a really interesting card, and the uh, and you know whenever a magic card is letting you cast spells for free, uh, you really got a recipe for some for some wild stuff in there. 
Yeah, in, in the Esper version I've been fooling around with, you, you run Gideon of the Trials with Pact of Negation so that you can drop the Gideon and then defend him for free without losing the game. Um, yep. And you can run Restore Balance and and some combination of Condemn, Path, and Fatal Push, like I said, uh, and then some Lingering Souls, Engineered Explosives, and Supreme Verdict. Um, you know, the, the, there's just so many options. And, and you know... The difference in tuning you're going to get in a control build from the pros versus randos like myself um, leads me to believe that if I can find cute little combos like this, they're going to find more. And the fact is that moving forward, something else is going to come up that makes it even better. Right, right. That's always the the appeal, right? I mean, one of the, one of the builds I was looking at was the um, some version of Bant Spirits and or Fairies, because both of those tribes, Spirits and Fairies, can play at instant speed, right? So mm-hmm. uh, if you're playing, uh, you know, one of the things with As Foretold is you really want to be able to to get full value out of it. You want to be able to do things on your opponent's turn reliably. So picture like dropping a spell stutter sprite for free on their turn with no mana up. <laughs> Just sounds so savage. Or or the following turn spell quellering them for free while you've already tapped out for something else. Like you've Vendillion clicked on your turn and spell quellered on theirs. Right. Gross. So what do you, let's see, you're probably... Let's see, you, you Bitter Blossom on two, and then you ask for Hold on turn three, and then you never pay mana for anything, a real spell ever again, I guess, or at least, I I don't know. It's interesting. It, it, I, I agree. There's it's, it's pretty cool what you could possibly get away with with this effect. All right, so moving on. Next on our yeah. list. Yeah, next up is Glorious End, which is the three mana effect that ends uh, you... Oh, God, wait, wait. Let me make sure I get the, the text correct here, because this is a curious card. Um, end the turn. <laughs> Simple Sorry. enough. Yeah, and w- the wind up and a swing and a miss. Uh, end the turn, and then at the beginning of your next end step, lose the game. So this says stop everything, just freeze everything, and then you have one more turn to win the game. And it's an instant. So, um, for instance, if you swing and put your opponent to like three life, and then you pass the turn, and on their upkeep, you just glorious end. Uh, they can't play any spells. Uh, well, they can't play anything other than instance. Um, they don't get to draw any cards or, or play any creatures. You then untap, take your turn, swing. If you kill them, you win. If you don't, you lose. So very red in that sense. This is really cool um, if you can find a way to to cheat. <laughs> uh, so for instance if you have Gideon's emblem in play that, and you have a Gideon so you can't lose the game then Glorious Ends are just free so if you can figure out a way to get a, a repeating Glorious End like I would say I Scrawn Scepter but Scepter is two or less so you can't Scepter Glorious End but excuse me if you can find a way to keep casting Glorious End over and over again and you have a Gideon emblem you've basically locked the opponent out of the game so there's some really nifty combo potential in there too um, and it's just it's just a very interesting card um much cheaper than we've seen this before you know we saw five mana for time stop which just said end the turn that didn't have the lose the game clause after it uh way back in the day and that hasn't really gone too far but five is a lot more than three um so i i'm curious to see where this goes six bucks is way too high but you know if this gets into bulk rare status i'm happy to sit on a pile because one this is exactly the type of card that will never be played anywhere and be worth nothing and then something will get printed and you'll go there we go and it's ten dollars I'm curious about this in burn. I'm curious about this in aggro strategies. I'm curious about this with death shadow. 
Um, so it is, it's, it's really interesting what you might be able to come away with. And it's a card that's going to scare the hell out of casual players um, and people who aren't really spiky because lo- you lose a game as, is, is everything. Right, so- for a, a spike is able to look at this and go, yeah, okay. Like, like that is a, a fair price to pay if it means I win the game way, way, way more often. Okay. So here's, here's a, here's a shell of cards just off the top. Uh, Path to Exile, Condemn, uh, Lightning Bolt, Lightning Helix. Snapcaster Mage, um, Glorious End, Spell Queller, and Silence. So you're you're countering some spells, maybe with some dispels or spell snares or whatever. You've got Snapcaster to double duty on whatever you need it to. Your Spell Queller is canceling a turn, basically. It's basically a time walk. Glorious Ends are a time walk. Snapcastering them back is a double time walk. Silence is essentially a time walk in their upkeep. I have no idea if that can get there, but I would certainly like to test it. I mean, it's certainly amusing. My, you'd have to put some card draw in there somewhere, probably. But uh, you can <laughs> sure your opponent is uh, not going to enjoy that. That's kind of like playing, uh, kind of like similar to playing um, land destruction. Is you might execute your plan and still lose the game, but at least you really amuse yourself while you did it, <laughs> and your opponent never really got to play any magic. There. So the yeah, this is probably. Uh bad and if it was a rare it would just be bulky bulk rare and you would be talking about it in the same uh uh way as you know most 50 cent bulk rares but it's possible somebody breaks this in in some intelligent way um it ten dollars is what they're currently selling it for an seg that's way way too high like you said um my target buy-in as a mythic would be somewhere in the three to four dollar range I, I wouldn't go particularly deep on it because so many stars have to align to make this worthwhile um, and it's entirely possible it's just way too terrible to ever play. Uh, <laughs> it is certainly, certainly uh, something for sure. So yeah, I you were, it's exciting. Uh, maybe it'll get there. Maybe it won't. Again, long shots. Uh, th- th- this next card is not terrible. <laughs> no, no, this thing is is nice. And uh, we're we're looking at Samet, Voice of Descent. It is the uh, the five mana three four red green legendary creature human warrior. And uh, are you ready? Here we go. It is Flash, Double Strike, Vigilance, Haste, other creatures you control off Haste, and one tap, untapped target creature. I mean, it is just, it's the definition of word soup. Like, it, it reminds me of like a chroma. It's like, wait, did I have it again? What does it have? Does it, does it have that? Wait, did you, what did you just do? Like, it is so much. Um, the, 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 the combination of what Samet gives you, uh, here's how you're supposed to use this, is you're supposed to cast this out with six mana, not five, even though she's a five mana card. You, exert your creature like that dragon that like flame tongues kabu things you you flash you flash samet in you attack with both you exert your dragon samet doesn't turn sideways because she's vigilant and she's hey so she already attacked and then you use her white to untap the dragon uh so that he, un- he basically unexerts so you get to keep using an exert creature every turn um because she's untapping them because she has vigilance and untap so uh very interesting card uh very powerful clearly designed to to pay off exert eight dollars right now which is kind of high for me um but i could definitely see this as a three maybe even a four of floating around in standard um in a in a vacuum so this is potentially one of the banner mythics of the set but it's really tricky to to peg that right now i think okay so your opponent has a creature on the board you have glory bringer in play following through on your model we cast Samet, attack with glory bringer kill the creature Samet's attacking two. You're doing ten because Samet has double strike, so that's three power, double to six, four from the Glory Bringer. That's ten total. 
you're getting to attack with both because of the untapping effect and the second attacks phase, that's 20. So <laughs> those two cards are an instant 20-point kill on an open yeah. board. That's a lot of damage. And it's a legend. So well, this one can is, say it's almost enough damage. <laughs> yeah. So this is a legend. It, it's going to be a, I think, popular EDH general. Because as you said, it's basically the librarian. It has all the abilities. Um, and I would expect these foils that are currently priced at 20 to probably get down to the $10 range when all is said and done at peak supply. And then make a climb back up towards 20 Okay. Okay. So I, I look at see that. I, I could look I look at this as the same kind of thing as Gitrog Monster, right? It's gonna be like a mid range EDH general that's gonna get pretty low at some point, uh, be largely forgotten about, and then get back up there. Um I changed my mind if in standard it's played as a three or a four of and the deck does well for a long time. Um, because then as a mythic it could be end up being a ten or fifteen or twenty dollar mythic and the foils could hit thirty or forty in a hurry. Now, do you think that, uh, you know what, I completely blanked on what I was about to ask you. Oh, you think this could be an EDH general? I don't know if I'm quite with you on that one. Flash, Double Strike, Vigilance, Haste, all your other creatures have haste, and you can untap creatures? Yeah, I mean, it's really cool. I guess I just, I play a little bit of EDH, not too much, but it just, these types of generals that are just sort of about, like, efficient attackers never seem that interesting kind of like oh yeah okay it attacks but whatever like the generals that, that just get by and attacking don't seem to really inspire that much you know get rog is played because it's a ridiculous value engine not because um you know he attacks well or whatever well i mean her having haste untap a creature though turns on a million different creatures and magics past that like to tap for effect true true so like double, i suppose double tapping play off, for that double tapping off grim lavomancer off um, any number of different pingers, right? Uh, you know, double double tapping uh, any kind of creature that had uh, abilities from Theros where the, you got something when they untapped. Um, I forget what that ability was called. but Inspired, I think? Whatever it was. Uh, and yeah, I, I, I think people are going to try this in EDH. It's just got enough stuff going for it that... Okay. Uh, uh, so I would say, like, if you can get these foils in the 6 to $8 range, you're pretty golden. Um, if it does well in standard, you're going to make money in a hurry. Uh, oh, because, sure. Because foils, it's a mythic, no not a rare. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, an interesting card, for sure. No question about that. So was um, so the next one. Uh, Vizier of the Menagerie. This is the oh, green yeah. card for three uh, and a green that says you play with the top card of your library revealed and you can cast creatures off the top and you can cast them for any kind, any color of mana. Yep. So uh, it's a sad, sad thing that this wasn't a two green, two, three that could be found uh, from co- under a collected company. But having four toughness keeps you at a range of lightning bolt. Um, she can still get hit by fatal push, however. So I'm having trouble picturing how this becomes a modern staple. Um, however, uh, when you have this in play and Courser of Crufix, as Todd Stevens has been running in Value Town lately, um, if you have creatures on top, you get to cast them. If you have lands on top, you get to put them into play. That's a pretty sweet engine to be running. Yeah, for sure. I... 
am of the opinion that this is probably not a modern card. Um, if it is, it's like a one of sort of at the top of the curve. Sure. Uh, but I do, I do see this possibly uh, being a big EDH player. I mean, it's just I, you like everything on here, right? Like what on here is bad for you. Um, so I, I think that uh, it's definitely going to be a staple there. I could see it, you know, being kind of like um, Omnath or oh god, what are some of those other creatures that are sort of that good value green thing that does all sorts of cool stuff? Oracle Maldaya, you know, those in in that range. Um, so and like this can, Mayel or something as a general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or or it doesn't even have to be Mayel. It can be a, anything that's green. Uh, just because you get to pump out so many creatures. Um, you know, if you have like an exploration or an Azusa going too, you know, you can churn through a lot really quickly. Um, so I think that at twelve bucks, this is way too much. If this gets down into like sub three dollar range, that is a really appealing pickup at because I can see this being a five to ten dollar EDH card, not too far down the road. And I'd probably look at foils first. They're currently at 25. That's way too high. Target buy-in buy under 15 somewhere. And then down the road, they hit 20 to 30. Because it's a mythic, not a rare. Yeah, that is true. Uh, it looks like it should be a rare, but it's uh, not. Okay. Um, so an interesting card. They're all interesting cards, right? Are we going to say that every time? <laughs> well, we're stalling for time. We will. <laughs> so next card on, on the list, uh, another green uh, mythic that has my attention Ronus the Indomitable um, Death Touch Indestructible 5-5 five five. and one of the easiest conditions of all the gods in Amonkhet which have been largely underwhelming um, but with Ronus you can't attack or block unless you control another creature with power 4 or greater um, this first caught my attention because I was like well that's interesting the best deck in modern runs 8 creatures with toughness I mean power uh, uh, four or greater, uh, namely the decks that are running uh, Death Shadow and Tarmogoyf, which tend to be like seven sevens, eight eights, five sixes, that kind of thing. Um, and if your follow up, if you go Death Shadow, Tarmogoyf, Street Wraith, Bobble, Ronus, you have a pretty serious board. And it's really nice that you, uh, you know, Lingering Souls tokens can no longer block your Death Shadows uh, effectively because Ronus can give your Death Shadow or Tarmogoyf trample and plus two plus zero and really put the game home. Mm-hmm. He's, I mean, you're you're not wrong. Uh, Twitter has been all over the board of uh, saying that this, or has really been on board with Ronus, um, thinking that he's the best god. Uh, he's really cheap, um, powers up your other creatures, plays well with uh, Serum, right? Because uh, he gives her plus two plus O. Oh. Um, which then turns him on. Uh, so a lot, of, a lot of power there really quickly uh, if you're in the market for that. Um, I do think he's probably the best god. Uh, we're on the same page as that. So a really cool card, does a lot of great stuff and possibly even modern playable, a uh, bit of a stretch, but uh, for sure people are going to be trying him out in standard. And given where we are with the macro trends with magic, this this represents like the paradigm I am most comfortable investing in. The It's definitely going to get played in EDH, and maybe it's playable in modern and will be undervalued before people figure that out. Yeah, anything that's good in EDH is, is already definitely so much more interesting than it would be otherwise. It's also possible there's just a green stompy Nykthos shrine uh, deck that runs a whole bunch of green craziness that is all four power or greater and then tops out at Ronas and just keeps swinging. Um, I mean, Fatal Push can't kill Ronas. Lightning Bolt doesn't do anything. It's got Death Touch, so it kills opposing Death Shadows and Tarmogoyf's dead. And uh, the only thing that can really touch it that's commonly played is like Condemn or Path to Exile. Um, 
So all of these are good things. And in EDH, the fact that it's indestructible means it survives a whole bunch of board sweepers. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's also always really good, um, being able to, to look through that, because there's no shortage of those So I mean, the, EDH. The foils are currently at around 25. That's pretty high. Uh, if you can get in around 12 uh, you know, ten or twelve dollars. I think it's going to get up over twenty over time. I would compare it to something like Perforos. Perforos foils from Theros go for about twenty-five, uh, uh, and contrarily, you could look at something like Heliod, where the foils are only like ten to fifteen dollar range, um, and that should give you a pretty good sense of where you want your entry point to be. Yep, that seems fair. Uh, we got another god, right? Uh, the next card that we're looking at is Bantu. He's the black one. Uh, I don't know. He's at five bucks, so people do not love him at the moment. Um, he's a four six. He's a four six for three, but you have to have a creature die in order to attack or block with them. That's going to be really hard to keep up with, right? Like that's that's kind of a, a hefty cost unless you are really working to put that into play to make that so- work. So here's why this caught my attention. Um, it's the only other god that is, looks custom-tailored for EDH. Most of the others don't have every opponent effects. But uh, Bantu says, one black sack a creature, scry one. Um, pretty easy to put together a deck that does either doesn't care about the black-white tokens you're sacrificing, expects them to come back, um, wants to make use of the scry or whatever. And the fact that each opponent loses a life and you gain a life, it means that you can trade off a 1-1 token for, you know, in a five-player EDH game, uh, a 10-point love swing. Um, that's pretty nice, actually. And uh, the art's incredible. The foils are relatively cheap right now. You can get the foils for about 10 or $12. Um, I think that's a solid buy-in price. If it gets any lower than that, it's a definite buy. Um, because... Uh, it's a legendary creature slash god. Um, it could easily end up being a general in some kind of aristocrat style build in EDH, um, where you could make use of all, uh, which is an archetype that could be supported in a hundred card format, given how much uh, redundancy we've seen printed around these kind of effects over the last three or four years. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, yeah, the the works in EDH is awesome. Being able to sacrifice a creature on command in EDH is awesome. Uh, so he is really good there as opposed to standard. So if he's reaches, I like him a lot more than Erebus in, in EDH, for instance. So if he gets down in the two or three dollar range, he's another one that I am completely happy to look at because, uh, you know, just, just the sacrifice on a stick. Like if that was a three mon enchantment, we, I feel like just an enchantment, we would probably be talking about in EDH as being really interesting. I mean, I play black white tokens in modern. I, I would try this as a one of. Um, where in the late game I'm like sacking one of my tokens to activate the scry and get a little life swing, and he's an indestructible wall that can't be blocked. And when I'm a, when I'm ready to, I can sack another creature and swing with him maybe to finish things off. Um, mm-hmm. Because sometimes the you know somebody abrupt decays your uh, the anthem effect that you have for your tokens. And you're left with a bunch of one ones that aren't really doing anything against a board full of three threes or bigger. Um, the fact that he's indestructible again is just very appealing, uh, and that he only costs three to get into play. Um, can't see it as a four of. It's pretty slow in the like cartel, um, uh, aristocrat style builds, but um, certainly for EDH, and I like the price point. Yeah, 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 for sure. It's um, it is interesting that if you're playing a token strategy, it's the type of thing where you can uh, 
if you were going to block and have your creature die anyways, now instead of blocking with a 1-1 one, one soul token, you're blocking with a 4-6 indestructible, which is a lot more of a pain in the ass for your opponent, right? Like, um, Okay, so next up, uh, what is next on our list? We have Liliana. Ooh, the new Liliana. She is, uh, she is something else. So the new Liliana is a 5-mana Planeswalker. Uh, let me... So here's here's what I I have to say about Liliana cross format appeal. <laughs> this is a walker that it's going to get is going to be in demand casually. It's going to be in demand in EDH. It's going to be played in standard. Uh, it has a shot at being played in modern because at the same casting cost as through the breach, you can return any creature from your graveyard, right. um, which is not an effect we see very often. They almost never give us this effect. Um, and it turns that creature into a zombie uh, in addition to its other creature types, but there's no other downside. Her plus one uh, provides a defender and puts delirium into your graveyard, so that pretty much guarantees there'll be a deck in standard that wants her. Um, my hope here is that um, that she, people are going to realize pretty quickly she's a one or a two of in standard and has almost no immediate impact on modern. And will allow the foil prices to float down because currently Star City's asking fifty for the foils. That seems nuts to me. Um, I would imagine these foils will get down into the ten to fifteen dollar range. Um, at which point, I definitely want to get a couple of playsets because a I'm going to need them for some decks. B this is probably the best Liliana art we've ever seen. Um, I imagine it is gorgeous in foil because of the the shimmer effect on her purple gown and this extremely high quality art. Um, and there are a lot of Liliana fans. Um, the fact that Christine Sprankle runs around as Liliana as kind of the poster child for magic certainly doesn't hurt. Um, so if these foils get down under $20, I'll definitely move in on some. That's, uh, that's, a an optimistic, <laughs> uh, point, but I do agree that she's really interesting. I like her as a combo piece. I mean, really the fact that you can just slam her for five, reanimate something, um, and she sticks around is, is really useful. So we could see, uh, we could see her doing something like that in both standard and modern. I like her. I, she would be a lot more interesting in standard if Emrakul was still legal. Um, kind of a shame that, uh, he got, he was just way too good. Um, but you know, she's, she's pretty playable in standard. She's a five mile planeswalker that does something that we haven't, we haven't seen this, this design before. Well, but she creates it. She creates a two, two toes zombie token which i like she gets in the way and you get to recur stuff so um seems like there's there's some room there in standard too well keep in mind that even though emrakul has gone the rest of the the second iteration of the adrazi titans do not get shuffled back into your deck when they hit the graveyard so if ulamog's in your graveyard you can that is easy to achieve in the green black delirium builds in standard right now you could end up with an ulamog in your graveyard uh, anytime before turn five uh it could actually be turn four because we've got a couple of good mana creatures that were introduced with this set. So I suspect that green black will be running some uh, acceleration. And on turn as early as turn four, you could have an Ulamog and play exile the two relevant permanents on your opponent's side. And I have to imagine that's game. Well, she doesn't cast it. And Emrakul's oh, good point. is a yep. cast trigger. Good point. Yeah, good so point. that's why Emrakul, that's why Emrakul would have been great because he was just huge and gets in the way. Whereas yeah. Ulamog is slightly less huge and, doesn't i mean he's still really good right like, like he's still savage but he's not like he's it's not as easy for him to kill your opponent in one shot it well if you can turn for a 10 10 indestructible that knocks 20 off the top they better have that new white cycling oblivion ring or else the game is going to be over sure you're not you're not pushing ulamog into a pit right <laughs> yeah 
which, now is, the other, which is a fatal push reference. The other thing is that Liliana Death's Majesty and EDH, if you just plus her a couple of times and put some zombie tokens out, um, her minus seven destroys all non-zombie creatures. Uh, yeah. That's pretty hot. Yeah, she is really cool in EDH uh, for sure. Um, the, I mean, obviously the reanimate is, is fantastic, but uh, the ultimate is really good too. So I like her there. Um, my problem with Planeswalkers and EDH is just since they tend to have huge targets on their head because uh, you can attack them without feeling bad, <laughs> at least in our local games. But she does do a lot of interesting things in EDH too. So she's got a lot of stuff that I like on her. At $25, it's way too high of a buy-in. Um, but if she gets to bulk Planeswalker status, uh, you know, maybe by August or, you know, early September, I could definitely see uh, picking up a couple of play sets just to kind of hedge against what we might end up seeing out of her. Yeah. So let's talk about Bone Picker. Yeah, the, the so it's cool. The so-called Black Delver. What's your take on this thing? Well, this is a card with a huge cost reduction mechanic on it, just like we saw on Gurmog Angler. Um and one could argue Delver's Secrets, although it's not really cost reduction. You're just cheating. Um, Bone Picker is a four mana for a 3-2 Flying Death Touch, which doesn't sound that exciting. But you knock three mana off if a creature died. Not not yours or the opponent's, just a creature. So it could be either. So then it's a Delver, one mana, 3-2, with Flying and Death Touch. Um in standard, this is going to be a little trickier to turn on. So, like, if you have a removal spell, uh, like, if you fatal push something, then you just get to play 3-2 flyer death touches uh, for one. Um, and if you don't, if you're not removing your opponent's creatures, you can be sacking your own stuff. Um, so, where this really gets interesting is in a format like Modern, where it's really easy to find cheap creatures that you can sacrifice on demand, like cards like Sakura Tribelder, just let you, okay... Sack Sakura Tribelder, Bone Picker, Bone Picker, right? Like you're probably not playing those two cards together, but it is um, just kind of gives you a demonstration. So regulars are 50 cents, foils are $5. So clearly people are are aware of this card. It's an uncommon. But if we get foils down under a dollar, I'm interested. You know, Gurmog Angler foils are like 10 bucks. Um, and I could see this being a similar interesting target for people. I think I I think I will get in before a dollar. I'll be very surprised to see these foils hit a dollar. I, I put this on the same level as Gourmet Gangler or Lingering Souls in its first printing. Um, I think any foil under even four is probably a buy. The really yeah, because I, I I don't think it's going to be. You've got to solve the the inherent problem, which is how does an aggro deck make sure that uh, this thing only costs one? But we just got Fatal Push. So if you're playing yeah. some kind of Grixis control or Grixis aggro build that runs this, Delver, Lightning Bolt, and Fatal Push, you're already in a pretty good spot. Um, you could run Terminates. You could run um, you know, anything that is going to make sure an opponent's creature dies. Now, if you go up against uh, Eldrazi Tron or something, um, or Scapeshift with this thing then you're going to have a bunch of four mana three twos caught in your hand so it's not a sure thing but i i could believe that somebody will figure this out for modern yeah it, it is definitely a little trickier uh than delver is um i mean it's it's probably i want to say it's a worse top deck than delver but it really isn't because it's top deck delver you still have to flip whereas this you can just pay the pay the awful cost uh but, but you then you still have your four three flyer death touch um one of the nice things is that there's no real tension between the two 
you're getting redundancy Correct. on Delvers without actually having different deck building conditions because both Delver and Bone Picker on one, uh, uh, sorry, Delver on one, Bone Picker on two requires the next card off the top or the card in your hand to be an instant, right? So yeah. if if you go Delver didn't have an instant and you've got a Bone Picker in hand, you're still hoping a Fatal Push is the next card, right? Because it would then activate the Delver and enable the Bone Picker on two. Yep, that's true. That's true. And a lot of times when we see these redundant effects uh, are like kind of redundant creatures or effects, they can have a little bit of attention in between them. Um, and they, they don't always play well together. But in this case, they play really well together, which is awesome. Um, but just like you said, so that is definitely a, a plus for this and those two being played together. And eight Delver, eight Delver dot deck is, is pretty awesome, right? And uh, certainly something a lot of magic players are going to try and make work. The only final commentary I have on this card is that I wish the art had been something a little more menacing than a vulture. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I suppose uh, it looks like it's begging for a lot of altars. Yeah, I mean... It's it, kind uh, of a funky posture, too. I, if this is going to be like a staple in modern at some point, <laughs> I want a more badass creature than a bird. Really, a bone picker, I mean, I guess they got creature type bird, but you could put all sorts of amusing art on there. I want to see somebody uh, cut out all the foil squadron hawks and put those on. (laughs) All right. So moving on, Embalmer's Tools was the next card you wanted to talk about. Yeah, Embalmer's Tool, I'll just touch on really interesting. Um, This card is cool because it works extremely well with, uh, what's his name? Oh, crud. I'm drawing a blank. Uh, It's a six mana legendary creature from the alara block that gives all your creatures on earth uh and he's a zombie um and he's grixis colors Sid- so sidrix or something say uh no not you sidraxis sidraxis i think um so well you check that what's really cool about embalmer's tools it makes all of your um uh unearth spells uh, unearth effects cheaper which he gives it to all of your creatures. And if you tap a zombie, you mill two cards, which is really useful. Um, and this also works great in uh, Sidisi um, because you get the zombie tokens with her and then you can kind of make more zombie tokens with her. So the foils right now in Star City are 50 cents. If you can pick up a, a lot of foils for around um, like 25 cents a piece, I think this is, you know, a 2 to $3 foil down the road because it's a really cool card. So not a huge gain here, um, but I think that if you're buying other stuff and they have a bunch of foils cheap, you can pick these up. Do that a couple times, and eventually you can take these to a vendor and pick up uh, pick up a couple bucks for yourself. Yeah, Sidris the Traitor King is the one you're thinking of. That's the 5-5 five, five zombie warrior. It's, uh, it's Sidris? Yeah, out of Shards of Alara. Three blue, black, red. Each creature card in your graveyard has an Earth 2 black, so it would reduce that by one, making an Earth cost oh, one and a black. Sidris, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm sorry, you were just pronouncing it differently than I'd heard it, so I was confused. Yeah, Sidris. Uh, all right, so moving on. Uh, next one on my list is Harsh Mentor, which is probably the the card that has been flagged as the most important for potentially for eternal formats, right? This is Mm -hmm. the red creature. It's just two, two for one and a red, but it has a fairly devastating ability. Uh, Said ability reads as follows. Whenever an opponent activates an ability of an artifact creature or land on the battlefield, if it isn't a mana ability, harsh mentor deals two damage to that player. So um, the hype on this one is probably justified because just, Making fetch lands uh, cost three <laughs> three life is probably enough to get this into legacy, right? Uh, that is definitely backbreaking for a lot of decks. 
and it injures Deathrite Shaman uh, anytime they activate top in Miracles. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, uh, anytime they do anything with a creature that isn't making mana. So I guess most of the elves are okay, but all of the elf combo pieces that uh, um, aren't uh, related might have trouble. But I mean, just just targeting Deathrite Shaman and Miracles already has my attention. And the fact that it's uh, any opponent means that this also has EDH implications and all of that combines for expensive foils down the road. Yep. Uh, that is true. That is true. It's a, uh... It's a cool card. I don't, I, you know, some of these situational sideboard, I mean, I'm going to call him situational. He's, he's a sideboard card. You know, I'm not too, he's really funny what he does to legacy, but I don't know how much that drives his price. Um, he is also interesting in modern too. So, uh, I would have to double back and look at a lot of sideboard foil cards to kind of get a feel for where the prices are. But I think $15 buy-in is probably quite reasonable, um, because I think a lot of those, you know, Stony Silence was a really good sideboard card that didn't attack for two. And that was, that's like $10 non-foil. So um, it does seem like there's there's some meat on the bone if you can grab these at 15 Yeah, I mean, the uh, right now they seem overpriced. Uh, foils are in the like mid-20s at, at present. Uh, I think bar, bar your price probably has to come down below 15 Certainly sub-10 is even better. Um, and then long term, twenty to thirty dollars. But here's the problem: is that legacy and vintage are not really driving prices. So we really want this to catch hold, and EDH is kind of a perennial include in any red deck um, to make me feel comfortable getting in. So I want to see what some EDH specialists have to say. I'm going to assume it's going to be played in legacy. Um, we haven't talked about its implications in modern, but fetch lands are just as popular there. Um, and there's certainly plenty of uh, interactions that this messes with. So maybe this is a modern card as well. Yeah. I mean, it's, you've still got fetches that you're eating with it. So, you know, that's a, that's a great start for it. Right. You know? Um, so I, I think, I mean, that's where I consider it, you know, what the, the lens that I look at it through, I should say. Uh, next up is harvest season. This is a weird effect. Uh, it's three mana green sorcery. It's rampant growth for every tapped creature you control. Um, so if you have no creatures, it is a rampant growth for zero. But if you have a lot of <laughs> tapped creatures, it is like three mana for a lot of lands. So right away, this is huge in EDH, right? Like if you have a bunch of guys, you can easily turn a ton of them sideways. One harvest season can get every single basic land out of your deck in one shot. I also think this is really interesting because remember battle for Zendikar and, Oh, well I should take that back. Cause it's not, it's not quite the same, but we have, uh, I'm sorry. Let me restart that idea. We have cryptolith right in standard and cryptolith right is tap your guys to make mana. So it, there's this really interesting way of just tapping all your guys on command. Um, and then casting a harvest season and getting a huge, payoff of, of lands out of your deck so you know is that synergy is that synergy going to get there in standard i don't know again it's a long shot but it is really cool that we have a two mon enchantment that really pays you for turning your guys sideways like that and then also lets you just harvest season um so you know you can play a several guys for the first like three turns um and then on turn four you know you play cryptolith right or even on turn three you play cryptolith right you tap three guys uh, you cast Harvest Season, you get like another th two to three lands. So you can almost play like a Cryptolith Harvest Season ramp deck. Um, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure what's there, but it looks amazing in EDH and possibly playable in Standard. 
Yep. I agree with all that. I can see that doing something. Um, obviously, getting in on uh, you know rando three-mana rares like this means that you probably have to focus on the foils. They're probably pretty long-term, and outside of EDH, I don't really see this getting there. Um, but uh, say I, I like I like buying them if you can get them at like twenty-five cents, right? Like ball, you know, if these are bulk rare, like between fifteen, ten, and twenty-five cents a piece, you can stash them, and then they turn into like a dollar fifty to two dollars in EDH um, down the road. So I think that that's not unreasonable. And again, it's sort of like those foil embalmer tools where you can buy them very cheap. It's not a huge, like you're not going out of your way to buy, um, to, to look for them. But when you're placing orders and buying other stuff, you can check and see if they have them cheap. You build up a bit of a stash and then eventually, you know, two to years down the road, the card's good, you know, cut another dollar or two more and you can just kind of flip it all back to a vendor at buy list. Nice and easy. So generally speaking, how interested are you in a brain geyser that can only target you and forces you to discard one of the cards that you draw? Uh, a brain geyser that only targets me and then I have to discard a card. I am not super in love with it, but I can see the effect being useful. I kind of am inclined to compare it to Sphinx's Revelation, where you basically you end up drawing the same number of cards for the same number of mana because you don't have to discard the card even though it costs one more mana but you gain all the life at the same time yeah uh i given how infrequent play in modern is for sphinx's revelation and how infrequently we see blue control decks doing well there it leads me to believe that pull from tomorrow is going to have trouble um Foils are currently around eight. If they got down to four or five, I might stash a few away on the premise that they might be ten to fifteen dollar cards down the road. Um, that in EDH, this kind of effect might be useful. Um, that in modern, if uh, control makes a comeback at some point and there are cards you want in the graveyard as part of that strategy, then maybe that's a thing. Um, but maybe it's just not enough. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting card. It doesn't mean that it can't be played. I just don't know if it's. If it's there, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, th- I think I can move on from that one. The The next one, though, that I did actually just buy a couple of copies of because they were cheap as far as I'm concerned is uh, Drake Haven. This is the enchantment rare uh, in Amonkhet for two and a blue that whenever you cycle or discard a card, you pay one and you get a 2-2 blue Drake uh, with flying. Um, foils were four bucks. I think $4 is the price you want to pay for these because I suspect it is going to be at the center of a deck in standard and will have an EDH future. And as a spring set foil rare, anything in the $250 to $4 range for the foils seems solid. Uh, the more cycling or discard relevant cards we get in the future, the better this thing uh, will do in the casual and EDH crowd. The fact that it is not just triggering off cycling, but also triggers off discard means that its applications are fairly broad. Uh, yeah, Drakehaven is a real interesting card. I mean, you can spit out a lot of creatures with that pretty fast. And the thing is, Abrupt Decay is not played very heavily in Modern right now, and enchantments are one of the least targeted uh, permanent types in that format. I'm not entirely convinced you can't just build a deck around this card. Yeah, I I kind of fully expect you to. Um, It does seem like that is, uh, you know, the the black one was spoiled earlier, um, where it's the same effect. Same mana cost, except black, uh, same effect, but instead of making two two drakes, they it drains two. 
Uh, and I was really, I'm like, oh, that's really cool. And then someone's like, you know, that's just kind of, how is this better than Drake Haven? I'm like, oh, I thought Drake Haven was just on cycling, but it's not. It's discard. So you can play Noose Constrictor. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to get a little, a little wild here. Uh, a salty deck, um, where you have Noose Constrictor, Drake Haven, and Shadow of the Grave. So you, Noose Constrictor on two, Drake Haven on three. And then on turn four, you can like, or turn four or five, you can pitch several cards to Drakehaven and then make a bunch of Drakes with it. And then like Shadow of the Grave back some of those cards. I mean, I guess it's kind of mono intensive, but, uh, there's a lot of discard enablers and using Drakehaven to just turn all, being able to use News Constrictor and Drakehaven to just pitch all of these cards, get a ton of Drakes out of them for pretty cheap and then get madness costs or what have you off of those is real interesting. Um, so it'll, it'll be cool to see if Simic can kind of make a return there with those types of effects. Well, the thing that makes it a little more interesting in modern is a lot of the cycling costs in Amonkhet for standard are two or three, right? Yeah. But a lot of, but there are enough single mana cost cyclers in, that were already being used in living end, for instance, that are now um, reinforced by that blue Sphinx that you can cycle, uh, which is called just, curator of mysteries right so that, that cycles for a single blue and whenever you cycle or discard another card you scry one um all sorts of options there and it, there are enough pop opportunities here for cross format appeal that if drake haven was an uncommon which it really feels like um then i would be staying well away but as a rare foil yeah, I, anything under $4 seemed super solid, and I was willing to get my first couple of play sets at that price and see where it develops from there. Okay, okay. Um, uh, it, yeah. And, and an answer to the question about why is the black one, how is the black one not just strictly worse? Well, it's not strictly worse because making drakes means you still have, they have to survive a turn before you can attack with them. Whereas the black one, if you can cycle cheaply two or three times, you can have like a six point, a 12 point life swing that finishes the game. Yes, I do agree with you that it is not at all a case of being strictly better um, and that you could use the black one as a combo piece too to just, you know, I think just one shot them. It's possible you just play both, right? You could. I mean, if, you, if you're really in the market for that many payoffs, sure. I mean, you may as well make a four color casual deck now that has Astral Slide, Lightning Rift, Drake Haven, and the black one and, <laughs> and, and really go to town. Uh, you may. I wouldn't recommend it, but you can do it. Um, all right. So go ahead, finish your thought. Well, because then you get access to all the single-cost uh, cycling lands from Onslaught. Yeah, you do. Just nothing but cyclers and payoff. Yeah. Um, all well, right. And then you have to put uh, that six-mount enchantment that lets you cycle for free, and then you just go hog wild. There you go. Um, all so, right, so, so hit, on, it, hit on the last... I'm sorry, James. Just hit on the last couple of these real quick, because I realize I think I have company coming soon, and I don't want people barging in the door while we're recording. Fair enough. So in the midst of that uh, janky brew we were hypothesizing, you mentioned Shadow of the Grave. That's the instant for yeah. one and a black that returns to your hand all cards in your graveyard that you cycled or discarded this turn. This is the kind of card I expect to go right into the floor and then rebound someday when it's featured in either a uh, Saffron Olive Brew or somebody figures out something broken to do with it in Modern and or Legacy. Um, it's also possible that it's a Gitrog monster thing in EDH. Um, the foils are currently $6. I think you want them well under 5 Um, and then at w way long term, they're probably $10 foils. Uh, yep. It's a really interesting card. Any card that, uh, can potentially draw three, five, ten cards for two mana, um, is, is certainly worth considering. Uh, it's 
you know, obviously there's a lot of setup involved and I'm not saying it's going to get there anytime soon, but if you want to talk about long shot specs, uh, I can't think of a better long shot than uh, this card. Yeah. I mean, it's um, super unique effect is one of the things I'm looking for, for speculation. Um, uh, super limited immediate impact is one of the things working against it. Um, but it, it's also not a card that anybody at Wizards is going to be testing around, and so when broken things develop for where it can be put to use, they are going to be under the radar. Yeah, I mean, anything that gives you free discard, like News Constrictor, and uh, you can draw a ton of cards for really cheap. It's just it's just interesting, right? Like, somebody posted a, a little infographic today that you can, like, turn one, that red one drop um, that, gets tri- that powers up when you discard cards, turn two, News Constrictor, Turn three, like pitch your whole hand, shadow of the grave, pitch your whole hand again, and kill your opponent on turn three. Uh, I mean, definitely magical Christmas land. People are playing removal, but still, uh, still some interesting interactions out there for it. Um, the one real quick card I want to touch on is Cascading Cataracts. This is one mana, uh, or I'm sorry, a land that taps for colorless. It doesn't come into play tapped or anything like that. And I don't even think it is. It is not legendary, and it is an indestructible land, taps for colorless, and for five, tap it. Add five mana in any combination to your mana pool, so you lose one total mana when you trigger it, uh, but it's a really cool card. Um, it's fantastic in any three-color EDH deck or up, because you probably aren't going to mind trading one mana a lot of times to get exactly the right colors you need. It is conceivably useful in modern, uh, especially when the fact that you can play this in a deck that doesn't make a color at all, and then it gives you access to the two other colors. So Tron, for instance, could play this and cast spells completely off color. Um, you could also play green ramp decks that use this to suddenly cast all sorts of stuff that they didn't have access to before. You could play mono black ramp and then use this to cast Genesis Wave and hit all four Garys, uh, you know, uh, gray ass merchant of asphodel so all sorts of interesting <laughs> all sorts of interesting applications most of them are garbage but it is really cool in edh and uh it's three bucks right now but i do expect this to be basically bulk rare eventually and i would love to pick up copies of this at 20 25 cents um and then out them in a couple of years at three or four bucks because of edh this is a slam dunk summer edh spec for the long term uh the foils getting low enough uh let's call it five dollars or whatever will probably trigger action from me the art it's going to be gorgeous and foil um five color edh generals will run it forever um it's not the kind of thing that you're likely to see reprinted anytime soon it being indestructible is nice that could potentially lead to some combos um uh, i was just gonna say i guess you're 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 you raise a good point there that the it could be reprinted in commander sets maybe but the foils are really good then because most of the places you'll see this reprinted won't be foil so foils, it's foils an especially good choice, I guess. Yeah. To me, and I mean, if it, pretty much all the cards we've talked about today, um, I kept talking about the foils. The reason for that is because when we're talking about um, what makes a good spec, getting to low inventory fast is what makes a good spec. Foils get to low inventory a lot faster than non-foils. Um, we're not in a huge growth period for the game, so non-foils are 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 going to struggle. Um, and EDH and modern are still full of players who like to foil out. So, um, that, you know, if you want to go back and look at the, um, masterpieces like Mana Vault, Mana Crypt, and Soul Ring that are at very, very low inventory within six months of release, there's a reason for that. And that's because EDH people are foiling. Yep. Agreed. What else you got? All right. So there's three artifacts, all of which, uh, are related to Bolas one way or the other, and all of which 
are ringing my bell for long-term EDH use. Um, we're talking about Oracle's Vault, Throne of the God Pharaoh, and Pyramid of the Pantheon. Um, all of which are rares, I believe. The foils under $5, I will definitely pick some up. Um, great art uh, and fantastic use patterns. Oracle's Vault is the artifact for four, where you pay two and exile the top card of your library, and until end of turn you can play the card normally, i.e. you have to pay for it. But once you've done that three times, from then on, exile the top card of your library, and you can play the card without paying its mana cost. That is crazy in EDH. So... Somewhere around turn three or four, you put this thing into play. Along the way, the next, the course, the next three to five turns as the game's developing and things are ebbing and flowing and people board clear a couple of times, this thing probably survives. And once all that's over with, all you have to do is tap it to take the top card of your library and cast it for free. That means if you have any kind of way of untapping it, <laughs> you, you can do it multiple times a turn. If you've got a combo that lets you tap and untap it a bunch of times, you can cast the top card of your library over and over and over again. That's all crazy. Type. And it's exactly the kind of, like, I I will be alive by turn 10 kind of format that makes this kind of thing worthwhile. So if mm-hmm. these foils, which are currently at $4, are, I mean, even that seems like a reasonable entry point. Um, it might take a couple of years, but those are going to be $10 plus foils for sure, because as a colorless artifact that works in essentially every commander deck... Um, slam dunk yeah it's a it's a really cool card i agree um very nifty what were some of your other so the other uh, one the others are pretty similar uh throne of the god pharaoh is the legendary artifact for two that just simply states that at the beginning of your end step each opponent loses life equal to the number of tapped creatures you control so i'd be looking at that as potentially being used in modern in black white tokens or in elves in modern and or legacy um i'm not an expert uh elves player by any means um But uh, a deck like that that wants to tap its creatures for value anyway um, looks like the kind of place where if you could say you you have a bunch of elves, but you're facing some solid blockers and you don't really want to play the attrition game to win, win, you can just start tapping them for mana on the end of your uh, uh, in, in the middle of your turn and do the final points of damage to finish the game. I don't know if that's good enough. The fact that it's legendary means you probably don't run it as a four of Um, maybe it's a win more card. But in EDH, where there's all sorts of reasons you might have your creatures tapped and you're likely to have a lot more creatures in play, um, definitely could see those foils being worth something down the road. Currently, they're in around that same 4 to $5 range, and it could easily end up being a $10 foil as well. And the third one uh, was the other busted-looking uh, piece of architecture from Amon Ket, which is Pyramid of the Pantheon. And this one, you're basically... You're, it forces, it's only one mana artifact, so that's lovely. Um, for two and a tap, you get a mana of any color, and you put a brick counter on. So basically, for three turns, you lose a mana by tapping it. And then after that, it's a permanent black lotus. (laughs) Because you can start tapping it for add three mana of any color to your mana pool, which is Mm -hmm. ridiculous in EDH, and the foils are definitely going to be worth something down the road. Again, it fits into every single EDH deck. Um, and pyramid foils are currently at $4. I will definitely buy some already at that price. And if it gets even lower, awesome. But it's a foil rare that is applicable broadly. Um, yeah, there's no reason to hesitate. You just go ahead and jump on those. That is a really cool card. And I noticed that too. I, my first reading of that, I thought you had to remove the counter to get the three mana, but then I realized 
you just keep doing it. And I was like, oh, damn. Like, if they hadn't printed 30 uh, artifact removal spells in uh, in the set, I would actually be pretty interested in it for standard since you get all of your mana back the first time you activate it. Um, unfortunately, with so much removal and vehicles so popular, the, ho- the format does seem really hostile to it, but it is a cool effect nonetheless. So, you know, maybe in a year from now, it's, it's more interesting um, in standard. So I don't know if it's really going to do too much in the format money-wise but it is it is cool at least yeah it's worth comparing in edh you compare it to something like lotus veil where you have to sack some lands to get that effect um this is this is sort of like sacking the lands but only temporarily so like it basically puts you down a mana for three turns and then after that you get you're up three mana for the rest of the game yep yep that's a good way to think about it um Let's see. Was there anything else? Uh, I think that was basically everything that I wanted to touch on. Anything else for you? I think the only other one we were looking at was Neheb the Worthy. Okay. This was the uh, legendary Minotaur warrior that had first strike. Other Minotaurs oh, yeah. you control have first strike. And as long as you have one or fewer cards in hand, Minotaurs you control get plus two, plus zero. Whenever Neheb deals combat damage to a player, each player, each player discards a card. So... That reeks of the Minotaur EDH general people were expecting to get in Theros and never got. Mm-hmm. Um, and it looks like a gift directly to those folks. Um, you were debating whether any uh, there would be enough interest for Minotaur tribal to really get this anywhere? Yeah, it's, it's you know, we, we chatted about this before the show, and it's one of these cards where I can see why you'd really be, why it would be appealing um, but, you know, even if you're buying the foils at like 25 cents, you know, there's a chance they could hit three or four dollars. But I just don't see a huge amount of demand for these sort of more esoteric uh, tribes. So it's a type of card where I'm OK skipping it and I'm OK being wrong. Maybe it does get expensive, you know, kind of goes up a couple bucks and it's popular. Um, but, you know, it's the type of card where the risk is high enough uh, because I just don't know if there's enough demand there that I'm comfortable leaving it behind. And the, the greater message here, what's, which I think is more interesting than just the card itself, is you have to be be comfortable walking away from things that you don't love. Um, you know, if there's a card that, uh, you know, other people are interested in or what have you, but it's just not tickling it for you, or you recognize it, that it could be worth money, but it still just doesn't do it for you. Don't worry about it. Just, just leave it behind. You can walk away from it. Um, you shouldn't feel bad about missing opportunities because in magic finance, there's always more right around the corner. There's always someplace to spend your money. Uh, and you shouldn't feel bad about missing opportunities or choosing not to go in on something um, for the most part, because it's, you know, you want to make sure you're, you're, you're safe and you're, you're comfortable with what you're working with. Give me your take on your top three picks from this list. Uh, I mean, I think that Cascading Cataracts is basically a home run, although it's not the sexiest one. Uh, boy, kind of caught me off guard with this. Um, Vizier of the Menagerie. I like those if you can get them at three to four dollars, um, even maybe a little less. I think he's a really good choice. Uh, I guess Harvest Season, I really like in the long term if you're buying at 25 cents and selling at three dollars. Um, so nothing, nothing too sexy, I think, uh, but all really stable. So I think if I had to say, Here's the three that seem safest and most likely to make you money if you get in at their lows. I would say Ronus the Indomitable Foils, under 10. Liliana Death's... Good good luck with that, by the way. (laughs) Liliana Death's Majesty, below 20. Foils. 
and which I think we'll get to because I don't think it's I think she's going to be a similar play pattern to Obnixilis um, and as, as long as she doesn't pop up in modern I think that you'll get that opportunity um, if she if she shows up in a good modern deck then forget it then then the foils are going to be 50 plus for ages um, and then Pyramid of the Pantheon foils already a good buy at $4 I think you can just go ahead and buy those today and not worry about it okay I mean those are all all solid I don't I don't think you're you're going wrong with any of those choices now, to follow up on your earlier point, though, where you said, you know, don't be afraid to walk away from a sketchy spec, um, <laughs> I think we can both agree that nothing on this list is any is better than carrying going following through on the recommendation to engage in European arbitrage that we've been harping on for months. Right. So really, you can just delete this MP3 now that you've listened to the other th- entire thing. It's all garbage. Don't bother. <laughs> it's one hour and a half sketchy fest. <laughs> <laughs> The, the the bottom line is you can still get foil soul ring masterpiece soul rings in Europe for like eighty to ninety dollars US and reliably exit on them in the hundred and fifty dollar range within a year given where inventory is right now. So if you're not if you're not at least kicking the can trying to get it on some of that action on that card or similar cards, then and you're fooling around trying to buy twenty five cent things at Omnicat, you're hoping to buy list for fifty. You gotta take a big step back and question whether you're doing it as a hobby or you're trying to make some money. Yep. Yep. Agreed. Okay, let's wrap this up because I know that people are in their car on their way here. Uh so James, where can our loyal listeners find you? Uh you guys can find me on Twitter at MTG Critic, as well as via my weekly articles on mtgprice.com. Next week I will be publishing the final piece in my How to Make Money on Modern in 2017 series, which will focus on up-and-coming cards that uh, have more uh, gains to realize or have not yet popped. And I'm Travis Allen. I'm on Twitter at Wizard Bumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. I write every Monday for MTG Price, um, and I am on the webcast Cartel Aristocrats most Monday evenings. And if you like playing Magic, check out Land. Find Magic in your area. And I'd also uh, like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com Pro Trader service for just $4.99 a month or $49.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a sweet set of online collection management and buy list tools that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Um, one final note, we have a new writer on MTG Price you might want to check out, Rachel Agnes, uh, otherwise known as Baytog, who is, was one of the... Um, competitors on uh, the Vintage Super League recently um, is a fantastic uh, writer writing about collector uh, pieces in Magic the Gathering cards that uh, collectors will be chasing after for years to come and her content is free every second Wednesday. Okay. Uh, Well, that brings us to the end of 63. I really enjoyed our conversation. This was a fun format for me. Thanks for joining me, James. I'll see you next week. (laughs) 